You didn't remember me. Not for a moment. But I will always remember you. You were stiff like a board. Arms curled like in your mother's womb, but with a rigidity a baby would never have. Like you'd regressed on purpose, and no one could arm wrestle you out of your newly found infantile state. You clenched your eyes shut, and every now and then suckled your wrinkled lips. Age has a certain defiance about it. I remember walking through the tropical rainforest, listening to the sounds of the birds on the way to work. As the rotating medical student, it was my job to listen to your heart and lungs every day. The first time, so faint, your heart the far, far off bump of a bass drum separated from me by years and by the thick throaty whisper of your filthy sick lungs. Later it became easier to imagine and then hear the dull, soft feeling of your rhythm in my ears. You would occasionally skip a beat My boss never skipped a beat. A jovial, brilliant man who once yelled at me in front of the whole hospital floor about my movie theater habits and insulted Chinese people he did not know and saved countless lives as he ran an ICU all by himself. He had the brash, politically incorrect, bitter confidence of a hardened warfighter in a body destroyed by cellulite-inducing late nights and pharmaceutical dinners. El Monja, he called you one day when he walked in with a chuckle. Your sweet home nurse had stationed herself there with you in the hospital, and she'd wrapped you up with her blankets, covering your head in the cold, cold hospital room. So you did look a little bit like Mother Teresa. They joked about it, but I felt afraid that even though you couldn't move or speak, maybe you could still hear. They assured me you could not. The Alzheimer's and Parkinson's had together eaten away your brain like pneumonia would now eat away your lungs. When we rounded... We spared only minutes in your room, rushing away after my boss's expert ears grabbed the gossip from your gooey, nearly silent, muffled breaths. It was the Alzheimer's and the Parkinson's that made it impossible for you to swallow right, so your food got into your lungs in the first place. But it bothered me how fast we left you. I know they're incurable diseases, but it bothered me, were we letting them win? And we spent so little time with you compared to everyone else. But of course, there were two ways to look at it. In the experience and wisdom of my elders, they spent their time with those they could save, not the man long gone. Que calidad de vida, my boss would shake his head. Quality of life, it's a term doctors throw around a lot. You had none of it, he said. The other way to look at it, of course, was from a patient's hopeful lens of faith. What if we could extend your life just a little more, and you could hear whatever final promise you finally needed to feel whole in this journey of existence? As a short, super horny virologist once said to me while we studied together in the library overlooking the palm trees, What is life but time? What is life but time? I sat in the cafeteria with my notebook open beside my chopped green bananas and onions with oil-boiled beef. It's all much more delicious than it sounds. My fingers scrolled through my phone to the text messages. ¿Cuándo nos encontramos? Uvita's last text. I had planned on hitting the streets again, and I'd wanted to see her, young and beautiful in her overgrown boy clothes. She shared certain desires with me. She and I had first met on a dirty Puerto Rican corner under old streetlights, by the side of a drugged prostitute fading under the moon. In another life, Uvita could have been my butch girlfriend. Ella no te escucha. Vita said of the prostitute I was kneeling to help. But maybe it was I who didn't hear. 
Some of us medical students used to take to the streets to bring hot dogs to the homeless, condoms to the prostitutes, clean needles for the drug users, and education to everyone. Some encouragement to give them the hope to escape these things that they knew would destroy them in the end. This is prohibited in many mainland U.S. medical schools because no one wants to get sued. But we cared more about making change than saving change, if you know what I mean. ¿Estás allí? After that one night, standing in the lamplight, Uvida and I had begun texting. The insecure medical student and the girl who didn't know what she wanted yet, but hoped to know, would know if she could just pull herself out of her situation. We'd talked about meeting up, but I'd become so occupied with medical school we hadn't set a date. She never replied to my question. I scrolled through our short phone history, a month between my text and hers. Maybe she didn't want to meet up with me anymore. My text hung there in the ether, insisting that I'd tried, while pinching me with the guilt that I had tried very, very late. A single question mark. Months passed. A scraggly-bearded man on a park bench covered in pigeon feces told me that during the drunken Caribbean colors of the Las Juntas Festival, amidst the humping in the town plaza, the screaming for the sweaty sports competitors, the intertwined tongues laced with grease and sugar, the party... Ovita had been stabbed to death in an alleyway by out-of-towners. Ultimo año, he said. Last year. My friends hadn't told me because they thought I already knew. But I didn't. I didn't know I'd lost my chance to love her. I didn't know I'd been texting a dead girl. So in the cafeteria, besides my notes with my phone, amidst the savory, greasy smell of tostones and rice, Ghosts like Uvida hung over me while you, the skeleton monk man, lingered upstairs. I gave you the time I could not give her. I pocketed my notebook and my short white coat and took the hot stairwell to check on you. I'd copycatted the boss and bought a handheld pulse oximeter, and when, winded and sweaty, I reached your floor, I clipped it onto your long, bony finger. Maybe your sweet home nurse called me into your room? I don't remember, but I remember her, and unlike you, I know she remembers me. She wore perfect black hair and a perfect bun, but not so tight it looked artificial like some women tended to do, and natural long eyelashes, not too fancy, wreathed in the biggest dark eyes, all complimenting her pink uniform. But above all the gentleness, the utter feminine strength and kindness that strengthened her and straightened her smile into concern, warmed my soul in a place where not everyone could still feel. There is a lot of pain in a hospital and there's an advantage to not feeling. You have to be able to think and people who feel too much can't do that. She was a kindred spirit, my quiet partner in feeling the way we felt about you. If she called me to your room, she called me because she couldn't get a hold of respiratory therapy and she was panicking. The gurgling in your lungs was audible in your throat. Your O2 saturation on your finger had dropped. I don't remember the number, but it had dropped. You couldn't breathe. I dashed back out of the room and found my boss. They can't find respiratory therapy, and he sounds bad. Why do you need respiratory therapy? You should suction him yourself. I was so empowered by that. See, in the mainland U.S., medical students don't learn hands-on anymore, and no one entrusts them with the skills all physicians used to need. Later, even as an intern physician, a medical school graduate... People in Texas would hold me back from performing basics like pap exams and sutures. It's those lawsuits, right, that make modern medical school graduates helpless without a nurse. Most doctors my age can't even put in an IV. 
I remember sitting down with the white man who bought our Puerto Rican school, the white man who said it wasn't important that incoming students spoke Spanish to our entirely Spanish-speaking patient population because third-year medical students don't make an impact on care anyway. What? Not in New York, white people medical schools where you came from, mister, but in Puerto Rico, they call me doctora. My heart pounded as I hooked up the tube to the machine in the wall. Stiff, rigid plastic coiled by your stiff, rigid side as I pushed the tube past your tongue. The gurgle worsened as you choked, and then the foul green goo began to seep towards me, warming my hand through the stiff tube. I choked with you, the smell of mouth bacteria and tooth rot, or whatever it is that makes sputum so wet and gross. I listened to your lungs again to see if you'd gotten any clearer. The twin diseases, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, had taken from you even the ability to cough. So the tube, and I, coughed for you. I sat there for God only knows how long. My forearm burned and I switched forearms and my back ached sitting twisted next to you on the bed and the machine in the wall began to fill with putrid gray tan thickness. I was hopeful and scared because we were getting so much gunk out, but you kept choking. Of course, you were reverse choking because the gunk was coming up, not going down into your lungs, so it was good, but it sounded so awful to listen to the retching. I didn't really know how impossible, how Herculean the task was. You had completely filled your lungs. Lungs hold between two to four liters, depending. How you lived as long as you did, I don't know. There's no bravery, of course, when you don't know that you're trying the impossible. I remember a woman trying the impossible. One day I'll write a story about her, about the grit in her teeth and the bitterness in her tongue. While in the dimly lit gas station parking lot, she described the six rehab centers she'd failed. I had a whole life ahead of me before I tried heroin, she told me in Spanish. I was the star track runner at my high school at 16. She could have had scholarships and then who knows what. She had a unique spirit too. Another woman like Uvita, I remember her smirking when I tried to give her some girlish shoes as a donation. Chacha no, prefiero los del hombre. She hated heroin. Like a brainwashed teenage runaway, hates the twisted rapist she can't leave but loves. She told me everything it had taken from her, her family for another thing, and warned me never to touch it, because once you do, no hay orgasmo que compara. She told me she would never escape it, but she would never stop trying. I'm not sure I've ever been able to channel my depression like that with that bravery. I ran on hope, and I had high hopes for you. An hour later, after the suction, I came upstairs, and you were not there. We couldn't even get you home to die in peace like we were going to try to let you do the next week. You took more of my tears than almost anyone else, and I gave you the time I couldn't give any of those women, but giving my time added nothing to yours. Oh, Sisyphus must have been a doctor rolling you up the hill, your poor life, all alone, without family, without last words, just... just a fresh breath and a warm blanket and the love of your nurse. Couldn't we give you that? Poor sweet grown baby. I don't know why it broke me down so hard, but I sat there in the common area at the nurse's station in front of the whole hospital floor and could not stop crying. They rolled out, and then my shoulders shook. And when I was writing this, still crying now. 
One of the residents, a thin, handsome man with kind facial hair, stopped to ask if a patient had been mean to me. (laughs) No, no, my patient had died. Unlike other teachers to come later, this resident did not berate me and tell me I needed to stop taking these things so hard and that I needed to toughen up. He told me to hold on to what made me me. And you were part of that. And it wasn't just me, your sweet nurse, the nurse you burdened, who didn't feel burdened because she saw and touched the humanity still radiating from your unmoving face. She wept with her hands in mine and shining eyes, and she loved you so much. You captured hearts without even winking, my friend. I would like to have that power too, or at least, at the very least, have a nurse and a medical student imagine I have that power if I have to drown alone in my own snot. The macabre, the pitiful, the tragic, the innocent. You don't remember me, but I will always remember you. If you like this episode of Death and the Doctor, The Art of Killing a Physician Slowly, be sure to subscribe to Emergency Exit Podcast wherever you get your pods. This series of short stories chronicles the losses and near misses that our doctor encountered during her first few years of medical practice. Thank you for listening to this episode of Death and the Doctor. I'm Jen Finelli, the licensed physician voice behind um, the series. Mental health care is very important to me because of the only personal trauma that I have dealt with and because of the impact I've seen on my patients. So if you or a loved one are at risk, um, the phone number for the suicide helpline is 1-800-273-8255. Or for the crisis text line, you can text HOME, that's H-O-M-E, or Hotel Oscar Mike Echo, to 741-741 in the U.S., or 686-868 in Canada. I also went ahead and, along with the Emergency um, Exit Podcast Network, we've gone ahead and affiliated with BetterHelp.com. In these current times, it can be difficult to go out to find a therapist, and a lot of times people's insurance doesn't always cover what they need. There are cheap and affordable uh, therapist options at BetterHelp, and like I always tell my patients, if you need to fire your therapist and pick another one, you always can. You always should take care of picking the therapist that's best for you, but if you would like to take advantage of our 10% offer, um, we do have a special link for you at has offers tracking.betterhelp.com slash s h d y that's has offers tracking.betterhelp.com slash s h d y so that link is also going to be in the description of every episode so one more time in order to get 10 percent off of your teletherapy so that you can take care of yourself effectively um, please go to hasofferstracking.betterhelp.com slash S as in Sierra, H as in Hotel, D as in Delta, and Y as in Yankee. And that's has offers tracking with an S. I really hope that you find that helpful. And if not, do what you need to do to try to find care in the area near you. It's also always a viable option if you have a well-trained chaplain um, or you have a well-trained school counselor. Sometimes they can get you the help that you need as well. 
every single person, whether a counselor or a pastor or a school counselor or a therapist, can sometimes be hit and miss because the evidence shows that the biggest thing that makes a difference for patients actually getting better is if you have a good rapport with the therapist. So if it's not working, get a different one. It's okay. A professional isn't going to be offended. What I like about being able to use BetterHelp.com is you have an enormous network of therapists all over the world that you can use to help you out. Um, It is U.S.-based company. And while I can't give you some kind of insurance referral or anything like that to them, this affiliate link is a great way to both support the show and do what you need to do to make sure that you're healthy to be able to help other people. Thank you very much for listening to the show and have good adventures. Adventures.